Let's just sit down like this, all right? We good to go? Are we good to go? Are we good to go? Ready? You ready? Are we ready? Are we good to go? Fantastic. So you're tired? Yes. Um, yeah, mentally. I don't know. I've been walking for a really, really long time. You said you're tired mentally. Why are you tired mentally? The things you see, the things you hear, the things you smell when you're out in Afghanistan, what? Iraq. Do you ever get tired about mentally watching the news and stuff and what goes on in the world? Yeah, also. How does that make you feel? Frustrated. Sometimes watching the news, you do get bored and then you get, it reaches a point where you well, for me, I just don't watch the news sometimes. It's full of horror stories, isn't it? I, mean, I, I don't really read the news. The evil in this world. Well, I can't deal with the war and the pain and the hunger. Do you ever feel like it's just an all-rush affair? Like you're just a machine, you're just going, 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 and you're not stopping for anything? You kind of carry on until you can't. So I've got this idea, this concept. Tell me what you think about it, all right? Imagine with me, you could take 24 hours out every single week and in that time you could rest. Imagine you didn't have to go to work, imagine you didn't have to run around shopping, but you could actually relax and rest with the people that you love, uh, friends, family, whoever it needs to be. Imagine you got together as, as a community, friends or family, and did something amazing for people. What does a day sound like that to you? That sounds good. Yeah? <laughs> I'd so crave that right now. Really? Yeah. Comforting. Comforting? Yeah. yeah. What about you, you, you other guys? What does a day sound like that to you? It sounds like a dream. A dream? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. It really does. If you were to design the perfect day off where you could, where the, where the focus of it would be, would be to relax and reconnect and recharge and maybe do something good, what would, what would you do? I will uh, spend time to myself to make me rest, like doing massage, spa, maybe. Like, maybe I would go somewhere as well, like traveling. Okay. All right, all right. In a place which I've never seen before. Like, I see. stop and go away from where I'm, from the uh, things that I normally do. Sleep in, wake up, do some exercise, eat a really healthy breakfast, mm -hmm. go for a nice walk, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meditate. You need, you need a day where you can just not think about anything, just relax, just and have a moment to like refresh yourself for the, for the, the next day. Do you think that London in general need a day like that? Yeah, London yeah, is probably. just too busy. Slow down and come. Yeah. yeah, where nothing moves. Yeah. I do need a day yeah. like that. We just don't get a day like that. And we're here today to communicate this message and encourage you guys to think about this concept of a Sabbath for you. And so today, we want to challenge you this week to think about the concept of experiencing a Sabbath in your life. Remember that you're not a machine and you can experience the Sabbath for yourself. I love Discover this. the yeah. Sabbath for this yourself. Is a great <laughs>
and about what it might look like to keep a Sabbath in a world like ours. Pray with me as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at the Sabbath, look at your merciful and nurturing day of rest. We pray that you be with us in the journey. In your name, amen. In college, I remember one of the most interesting classes I took was my junior year during my communications degree, and it was called Intro to Advertising. We read about products that had succeeded in the marketplace and about those that had failed, as well as learning about the psychology of marketing to the five senses, for example, why most grocery stores have bakeries at the front entrance, and we learned about how to create the perfect advertisement. In order to create our own advertisements, the professor broke us up into teams and assigned each team a product. It was our job to come up with an advertisement storyboard and then present it to the class. Remember, he said, the best advertisements create a psychological need and then fill it with the product. I froze. My teammates got their supplies out and started working, but I just sat there, his words echoing in my head. Generate a psychological need and then present the product as the solution? Suddenly it was like I wanted nothing to do with the class, with the whole semester. I had spent the last six weeks learning the psychology of colors, of product placement, sounds, of targeting beliefs and perceptions, all in order to sell inanimate products for money. Even worse, I now knew how to create an insecurity in a woman that would be soothed by a hair product, or I knew how to make a father question his provision to his family just by the kind of car he drove, or I knew how to fan the flames of comparison and personal deficiency by constantly sending the message that without a certain product or brand, one's identity was incomplete. Living in 2020 means that you are most likely bombarded by these messages in every aspect of your life. What may have simply started in advertising as getting the word out about a product has now turned into a meticulously researched, focus group tested, psychologically brilliant messaging campaign predicated on convincing you that you and everything you possess is not enough. This message dovetails nicely with the follow-up narrative, which is that in order to be or get enough, you must work even harder and spend even more of your resources. Rest becomes equivalent to laziness, which is a character flaw that must be solved by filling the gaps in your schedule. This unsustainable cycle continues to the point where you judge your daily value by the defining question on your pillow each night. What did I even accomplish today? The section that Kevin read from Matthew 12 starts out with some contextual verses that set the scene. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Personally, I always imagine Jesus hanging out in the grain fields on his way to something else, like healing the sick or feeding the needy, or on his way to preaching in the synagogues or turning over some tables or whatever other things he was busy doing. Meanwhile, the disciples are just trying to keep up and grab some food to go in their rush to stay on schedule. At least that's what my life would have looked like if I were them. 
But in contrast, it seems that these verses are the main event. Jesus isn't going through to some other place or person. From verses 1 through 8, there's nothing happening other than Jesus and the disciples are spending some time in the grain fields, doing some snacking, maybe some talking, before the Pharisees come and break up the situation. The Message Bible says it this way, One Sabbath, Jesus was strolling with his disciples through a field of ripe grain. Strolling! How do messiahs have time to stroll? And sure, in verse 9, they actually do go to a synagogue and Jesus does heal a man. But it seems like a second part of the story. Verse 9 starts by saying, from that place, they went on to the synagogue. As if the first place was notable on its own. Also, according to cultural commentaries, there is no reason why the Pharisees would ever be caught dead in grain fields on a Sabbath. There was no reason to be in a place of work during Sabbath hours. So why were they there on that day? Jesus and the disciples had to have been there long enough for word to get out to the Pharisees that there was some reprimanding to come and do. All of this to say that here in these few verses, we have an example of Jesus spending the Sabbath in community and leisure with his disciples, relaxing in the grain fields, possibly discussing the funny thing that Peter said last week, or reading some of John's latest poems, or talking about the fish that James caught yesterday. Jesus is simply being. He is secure enough in his mission, his value, and his identity to sometimes just be without it all falling apart. He tells the Pharisees that they have missed the point of the Sabbath day, that the Sabbath was made for humans and not the other way around, that the Sabbath is about mercy, not sacrifice. Six days we sacrifice and live in the expectations of this world, but the seventh day is the day of mercy, where we lean into the value that God has already given us and we rest. This is a lesson that we have to be reminded of again and again, weekly, in fact, since we so often forget. Nowhere is this better exemplified than in the story of the Exodus, where God has to reprogram the Israelites after they come out of slavery. Even though the Israelites have grown up hearing about the Sabbath, have heard it from their grandparents and their great-grandparents, and even have remnants of the old traditions and rituals in their homes, they still mentally live in the context of slavery without the ability to practice the Sabbath for themselves or their families. They live in the kingdom of Pharaoh where all that matters is their productivity. They're defined as good slaves or not by whether they meet their quota of bricks each day. They fall asleep thinking of ways to speed up processes and cut corners and please their taskmasters. They wake up in the mornings with the pressure of guilt on their chests for having slept in too long. That they're told that their true nature is that of sloth and laziness. And if it weren't for the watchful eye of their taskmasters, they would not be worthy of their keep. They live in the kingdom of Egypt, which, though considered one of the richest kingdoms in the land, is driven by the myth of scarcity. If they take time to rest, Pharaoh's storehouses may not have enough. There needs to be more. Pharaoh's leadership is an endless, anxious presence 
that pervades the whole social environment, a constant anxiety that without continual upkeep, the whole system may fail. They live in neighborhoods now devoid of neighbors, but filled with competitors. Other Israelites who could take their spot on the production line at a moment's notice if anything were to happen to them. They know they're replaceable and must always be striving to stand out, to outwork, to outshine those around them for the sake of protecting their spot. In order for the right to keep bread on their table. And if a fellow worker dies in the process, falling into the mud pits or being crushed under the stone obelisks, it's unfortunate, but simply the cost of doing business in this economy. Pharaoh's storehouses must be filled. The Israelites are a people who have the memory of a Sabbath coursing through their veins, but do not have the freedom to exercise it in their everyday lives. It simply does not fit into the context in which they live, because that's just not how life works, which is where God steps in. Through an uprooting of everything they know to be true, their lifestyle, their routine, their identity, and even their workplace, a revolution begins and God pulls them out of the fake construct that Pharaoh has created for their lives. Walter Brueggemann puts it this way, the Israelites come to the mountain of Sinai to acknowledge regime change. The plagues of the Exodus mark the terrible and revolutionary change between an old empire dedicated to Pharaoh and a new christening into holistic life with God as ruler. The Mount of Sinai is where the Israelites are inducted into a new way of life. It's where we see the Sabbath reintroduced as the crown jewel of the commandments, bridging the gap between loving God and loving others. Here God introduces his people to a new narrative, not a story forced upon them, but a reminder of their true story and identity. He reminds them that their identity is not in being machinery to a process or in meeting daily quotas of bricks. It's not defined by competition or achievement, by production or acquisition, but that they are creatures made in the image of God whose intrinsic dignity reflects the worthiness of justice and mercy and compassion. He reminds them that even he, the God of all creation, is not an anxious God. That when he rested on the seventh day, it was in the full knowledge that creation was a beautiful functioning system that did not need his constant worry for upkeep. As a sustainable system, it allowed for rest and renewal of all the participants in its ecosystem. Unlike Pharaoh, God is not an anxious presence, but a presence of peace, providing just enough abundance for the needs of even the sparrows and the flowers. Finally, God reminds them that their neighbors are not to be seen as threats or competitors, but as family, an extension of themselves. He provides the Sabbath to honor this time for community, not just so that they can rest, but so that they can spend time with their sons and daughters that they can rest with their servants and their animals and even the foreigner within their gates. In a world where there is no such thing as a free lunch, God presents a different type of economy. Isaiah 55.1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, 
and without cost. The Sabbath becomes a great equalizer where all within it deserve to rest together, regardless of their labor on the other six days of the week. The Sabbath commandment looks back to the emancipating God of the Exodus, who delivered from the restless productivity of Pharaoh, and looks forward to a possible neighborliness in which striving for commodities in community-destroying ways is prohibited. Sabbath is an arena in which to recognize that we live by gift and not by possession, that we are satisfied by relationships of attentive fidelity and not by amassing commodities. If it feels hard to rest on the Sabbath, it's because we have been trained to feel shame for our tiredness, for our creatureliness, for our very humanity. If it's hard to hear the still small voice of God on the Sabbath, it's because our ears have been deafened by the noise around us. And if it feels hard to spend a day thinking that we are intrinsically valuable apart from our accomplishments, it's because we spend six other days hearing that we are not enough. The Sabbath is a mercy that God has provided to nurture us and remind us of our worth in His image, to remind us of the importance of our neighbor, and to remind us that unlike the insatiable gods of this world, to Him we are always enough. He invites us to come and to remember each Sabbath day.